I want to read from another text as I begin this morning, not the living word of God for us today, but a word that you may be quite familiar with. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Raise your hand if you think you know who wrote those words. Many of you in the room, of course, those are the words of Robert Frost from a poem that honestly, is often misunderstood and misinterpreted and misnamed. It is not The Road Less Traveled. The title of the poem is The Road Not Taken. I did some research on that poem this week and found that by most measures, it's probably the most famous, the most known, the most quoted, the most Googled poem in American history. In fact, Jody and I and our kids were driving home from a dinner last night, and I happened to mention that I was going to open the service with this poem. Now, my wife, whom I've never heard recite any poem in her life, she doesn't read poetry, she's not a fan of poetry in any way, shape, or form that I knew of. As soon as I mentioned the poem, she said, oh, two roads diverge in a yellow wood, and I'm sorry I cannot travel both and be one travel long. I stood and looked down, blah, blah, blah. She recited the whole thing at that speed. Start to finish, and my jaw just dropped. It's like, where did that come from? And she said, that came from eighth grade. <laughs> And then our eighth grader in the back seat, whose jaw was also dropped, said, we just spent two weeks on that poem in literature class. And so we spent the whole rest of our drive home talking about how do you interpret the road not taken. And I won't bore you with all the different interpretations, but I think we kind of get it wrong. We sort of show it up as this like, it's this poem about individuality and creativity and be your own man. I actually think there's a lot more to it than that a little like our text this morning that I read to you a few minutes ago. If you haven't opened already to James chapter three, go ahead and open. In this morning's passage, we're presented with a choice like this. And just leave that image on the screen for a few minutes. I think what gives Robert Frost's poem such enduring power, the fact that most of us know it, hear of it, is the idea in our minds that we're walking down a trail of life and these roads are diverging and we make a choice that's gonna make all the difference. And which one is it? Is it path number one? Is it path number two? You know, what's behind curtain one? What's behind curtain number two? The reality is our, our path is constantly diverging in hundreds of choices, thousands of choices, every day even. And the poet or the, the speaker in the poem as he's looking back later in life, he says with a sigh, what made the difference was the path I took, the choice I made. 
And in this morning's text, James is giving us a choice. Like we've come to a part in the book of James where he says, look, there's two roads you can choose. There's two paths. Choose wisely because the path you choose will make all the difference. Our text this morning is a passage about two kinds of wisdom. Think of them like this. Think of them like this image. Two paths of life. Two roads to take, you can choose from. Two approaches, two two kinds of wisdom. Now, we'll talk about what wisdom is in a minute, but he's gonna show us there's true wisdom, there's false wisdom. And in these six verses, he's gonna compare and contrast the two, true wisdom, false wisdom. You could summarize, we're gonna ask to put some labels here on this photo, you could summarize true wisdom as God's way, false wisdom as my way. That's what James is essentially saying in this passage. One path centers on the question, what do I think is best for me? One path centers on the question, what does God say is best for me? Here's what James is saying. I'm giving you the big idea now so we can have clarity on the text as we dig into it in a minute. He's saying, those are your choices. God's way your way. Those are the roads diverging in a yellow wood. You can do what seems right to you or you can live life the way God designed you to live life. One choice is self-sufficiency. The other choice is dependence upon God. Choose. That's this morning's text. Now here's the outline of the text and and the sermon will follow the, the way the text goes. The first two verses set up the core contrast between the two paths. It's verses 13 and 14. 15 and 16 is like a a double click on one. False wisdom. Let's do a deep dive on false wisdom, James says. Specifically, in these verses, he's gonna answer, where does it come from and what does it produce? The next two verses, you guessed it, contrast that with true wisdom. Let's do a deep dive on that, James says. What does true wisdom produce and where does it come from? And then we're gonna apply the text at the end by asking the question, how do we walk in true wisdom? How do we walk down that path? What does it actually take to pick God's way over my way? So let's start with the first two verses. The core contrast between the two kinds of wisdom are presented here. I'm gonna spend a little bit of a disproportionate time on these two because it'll lay the foundation for the, the contrast that comes with false wisdom, true wisdom. Verse 13 says this, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. James is reminding us that wisdom is less about what you know and more about how you live. Or, to paraphrase the great philosopher Forrest Gump, wisdom is as wisdom does. Now this idea is very consistent with how wisdom is described throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. See, we have the wrong idea about wisdom. We just think it's book knowledge or just kind of street smarts. And it's actually more than that. A few weeks ago, we talked about wisdom uh, again earlier because it keeps coming up in the book of James. James is known as the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And so here's how we defined wisdom according to God's definition a few weeks ago. Wisdom is living life the way God designed life to be lived. It's not just knowing what to do, it's actually doing it, right? It's faith and works. No surprise, we're in the book of James. But this is what wisdom actually is. And by the way, the way God designed life to work is the way, right? He's the creator. He's the architect, 
He knows how life is meant to work. So living in wisdom, living according to God's way, how we designed you to work, how we designed the, work, the, the world to work, is what glorifies God and brings you fullness and brings you joy, brings you flourishing. So the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, turns out you do both of those things when you live life the way God intended you to live life. Joy for you, glory for him. Now, according to Proverbs 9.10 and several other places in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, listen, that, that doesn't mean being scared of God. Okay, it's not that kind of fear. The fear of the Lord means you recognize who's in control and it's not you. And your relationship with God is marked by humility and even a word that we don't like, submission. And why would you submit to anyone? Well, he's God. If you are created, he has some say in how you operate and how the world is designed to operate. The question is, do you trust him? That ultimately is what's going to determine which path you take. Do you trust him? Now, discovering and living out God's way is the path of wisdom. That's kind of the idea in verse 13. So so here's what James is saying. True wisdom isn't measured by how smart you are, how successful you are. It's measured by how aligned you are with God's design, and that's evidenced by the good works or the fruit that flows out of your life. That's verse 13. Now, our culture gets this all wrong when you think about it. Think about who our culture elevates, idolizes, writes about, makes documentaries about, like makes movies about, think about that. We tend to idolize those with extraordinary talents, those with with unusual beauty, you know, those that have the most success, the best athletes, you know, the, the most successful people. The trick is when you really examine their lives, according to James 3.13, it's like, what do you see? Do you actually see good behavior, deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom? Actually, when you peel back the layers of most of these people's lives that are idolized in our culture, not always, but usually what you find is there's wreckage under there. There's shallowness and emptiness and brokenness that's covered over with a beautiful facade. That's what you typically find. James is saying, those aren't the ones that you want to celebrate. They might be furthest ahead, but they're furthest ahead on the wrong path. Who among you is wise and understanding, he asks. In other words, who actually understands life and is walking down the right path? Who's actually winning? (laughs) Who's actually ahead? It's not who you think it is necessarily. He goes on, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. This is true wisdom. This is God's way. And it doesn't sound necessarily very shiny and attractive to us. Good deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. Who really wants that? I want the car. I want the money. I want the fame. I want the magazine cover, right? Now, We're just getting started. So hold that tension. Now let's go to 14. He's going to contrast the other side, the false wisdom. And it begins with the word but. Now, you know, a little little Bible study tip. When you see that word in the scripture, it's a word of contrast. So you know there's something that's about to be said that's going to be contrasted with what was just said. So he was just talking about true wisdom and how it's shown through your life. Now he's going to talk about the opposite, false wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. Now, this verse requires a little bit of explanation. Did you see the heart show up again? 
Isn't that interesting? We, we told you in the fall that once you start paying attention to where the heart is used in scripture, you see it everywhere. It's all over the place. You know, Lloyd talked about it last week. You know, he had the disintegrated heart visual up here. It's so helpful the way he illustrated that related to the tongue. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. You know, Lloyd gave you the tongue, the, the, the giant tongue costume. I gave you great American literature. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, keep that in mind. James is reminding us here that our fundamental problem is a heart problem. Like, that's where the problem is. He's essentially saying, do you want to know why you keep choosing the wrong path? Like, why my way is so attractive to you? Well, following your heart when it's untransformed and unintegrated is going to lead you down that path every time. Following your heart, as long as it's unintegrated, as long as it's untransformed by Jesus, as long as you're outside of wholehearted life in Jesus, following your heart's gonna lead you down the my way path all the time. Think, think about it. You desire something, and so you choose it. Doesn't matter what God says, doesn't matter what anyone else says. I want it, I'm gonna get it. You feel something, that must be your truth. Do you see? Now, Desires are not evil, emotions are not evil. But when they're unintegrated, they're always gonna push you to make choices that are not aligned, aligned with God's plan. That's what my way is all about. James is pointing out that the core of the untransformed heart is jealousy and selfish ambition. Those words are worth unpacking because they're gonna come up twice. You know, and anytime you see something repeated in scripture, there's a reason for it. You want to pay attention to it. Let's start with the first one, jealousy. Think about jealousy. Here, here's all it is. It's a lack of contentment that's caused by comparison. Don't raise your hand, but anybody struggle with a lack of contentment? <laughs> you know, I don't want to call us out. I probably should have said raise your hands. We all feel like we're in good company. Everybody's hand goes up at some level. A lack of contentment. What causes a lack of contentment? Comparison. Listen, I love living in Williamson County. My family has been thriving here. It's a wonderful place to live. But I gotta tell you, you know, we, God's given us a wonderful house that meets our needs very well. And oftentimes, you know, we go over for dinners and other places and, you know, I... No shame for those of you that have really nice houses, but we come back in the drive and, you know, my, my 10-year-old usually says, why don't we live in a big house? You know, this is how it goes. We're driving around. This is a great place to live, but it's also a place where comparison is really hard. It's really hard. So you find your mind thinking, if I just had a little more land, if I just lived a little bit closer to town, or some of you, if I just lived a little further from town, if I could just have a little more privacy, if we could just have a little more room, a little more space... Comparison causes lack of contentment. And that's what jealousy is all about. It's in there, y'all. It's in me. It's in here. It's in our hearts. The second one is selfish ambition. Like, that sounds so heavy-handed, and most of us would say, well, that's not me. It's someone else I know. Selfish ambition is simply putting my needs and desires ahead of others. That's all that really is. I'll just get vulnerable and speak for myself. I can go down that path really quick. I can make, you know, it's just easy for me to make my marriage about me. It's easy for me to, to make my home, my work uh, about me. And, and I never get more frustrated than when something that I need or something that I want is not met. And, and that's where frustration creeps into my life. You know what I've learned? 
when I make life all about me, life stinks. It's just true. If you want to be miserable, if you want your relationships to be empty and exhausting, if you want to be incredibly discontent, just make your life all about you. you know, just, just demand things from people. Just kind of come home after a long day of work and just say, I want my stuff right now, my way. I mean, that, 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 that makes for a miserable life. It honestly really does. Now, one comment on the last phrase here, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This is so interesting. What is he talking about? Do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. Most of us wouldn't say we're arrogant. Okay, most of us would say, I'm not lying against the truth. James is describing self-deception. He's describing a blind spot that we have. We don't know we have it because it's a blind spot. Let me explain what I mean by this self-deception. Anytime you choose my way over God's way, do you, and this happens all the time for us in whole kinds of different ways. Do you know what you're saying when you choose my way over God's way? You're saying, I know what's best for me, better than God. That's the epitome of arrogance. You think about it. It's, it's not only incredibly arrogant, it's completely untrue. You don't, you don't know what's best for you. In your lifetime, has anyone ever deceived you and lied against you more than you? Like, has anyone ever sort of just wrecked your life due to poor decisions more than you have? You know, some of you are thinking, but you don't know my story. I was wounded, you know, et cetera. I was a victim of things. And, and you were because other people have sinned against you. But has anyone in your life ever deceived you more than yourself? James is saying, don't be deceived. Don't lie against the truth. Don't be arrogant. Your way is not best. Your way is not better. Proverbs 14, 12 reminds us there is a way which seems right to a man but its end is death. It seems right to me. Man, that choice, it just seems what I want. It seems like God would want that for me. He wants me to be happy, right? Even though it contradicts a little bit of what he says over here, surely he wants this for me. In the way, there, there is a way that, that, that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. Jesus kept teaching his disciples the same idea over and over. He would use words like, if you want to actually live, you have to die to yourself. Now, was Jesus saying that because he just wanted to make them uncomfortable and he didn't want them to have pride, you know, like trying to beat them down and like keep them below him? No. He wanted them to have life. And what Jesus knows is my way is not the path of life. Well, Jesus' way is, but you know, from their perspective, you know. The path of my way is not the path of life. It's actually the path of death. So Jesus says, you gotta deny yourself of that path to come walk this other path and then you're gonna be alive. Like then you're gonna actually find what you're wanting, which is life. So today, even with us, Jesus is constantly calling us away from the path of death and toward the path of life. Away from my way toward God's way because there's life over there. There's life that way. So having set up this initial contrast between the two paths, James in the next two verses takes a deep dive on false wisdom and he's gonna look at where it comes from, what it produces. Let's look at verse 15. 
This wisdom, and if James would have had quotation marks, he would have put them around that, that word wisdom. This so-called wisdom, this quote wisdom, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So where does it come from? The first thing is it does not come from above, which is another way of saying it doesn't come from God. This kind of path, this kind of wisdom, this kind of life that's marked by jealousy and selfish ambition and it's, it's, it's my way versus God's way. It doesn't come from above. It doesn't come from God. Instead, and he gives three words by way of contrast. So it doesn't come from above. Where does it come? It's earthly, natural, it's demonic. Let's briefly talk about each. Earthly is just the opposite of heavenly. Think about it that way, but it also carries the idea earthly is temporal, heavenly is eternal. So it's like, what? give me what I need, what I want right now. I'm not thinking about long term. I'm thinking about, certainly not thinking about eternity. I want to use my money, spend my money the way that I want to spend my money, spend my comfort, spend my life. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to make, make sacrifices. It's all short-term thinking. That's kind of earthly, earthbound, short-term thinking. Then he goes to natural. It's a little bit of a synonym, but it literally means unspiritual. That's what the word means in Greek. It's the opposite of spiritual. And don't just, don't think religious when you hear spiritual. Think of pneuma, breath, spirit of God. So what James is saying here is this kind of so-called wisdom is natural or unspiritual means it's not animated by God's breath. It doesn't have God in it, which means it's ultimately dead. There's no breath. There's no pneuma in it. And then finally, this one's really interesting, demonic. You know, everybody's like, demonic? What is he talking about? Well, first of all, it means that this kind of path or this kind of wisdom is ultimately rooted in rebellion against God. Now, we don't think that way. We're just thinking, I'm just trying to be happy. I'm gonna go my way because the other way is painful. You know, that's kind of how we think. What James is saying, no, it's actually demonic. And so you're thinking, James, what are you saying? Am I possessed by a demon? Is that what you're saying? No, he's not going there. Think about the original temptation in the Garden of Eden, okay? God had said, listen, eat whatever you want except from this one tree, because there's no life in that tree. Eat all this other stuff, but not that one, all right? Then Satan comes, and, and think about this. This is so interesting. What does Satan do? He, he isolates Eve, and then he shows her, look, Eve, there are two roads. There are two paths that are diverging in the wood of your life. And he deceived her into believing she was missing out by not Choosing her own way. And then Adam joined right in. Now, of course, Satan did not tell them that the road he encouraged them on led directly away from God, directly out of Eden and ultimately toward hell. George MacDonald was a Scottish pastor and author in the early 20th century. He was one of C.S. Lewis' favorite authors. This is what he wrote. He, he, he called this the principle of hell. George MacDonald writes, the one principle of hell is, quote, I am my own. I am my own king and my own subject. I am the object and end of my thoughts. 
My own glory is and ought to be my chief care. My pleasure is my pleasure. My right is what I desire. The less I acknowledge debt or obligation to another, the more I close my eyes to the fact that I did not make myself, the more self-sufficient I feel or imagine myself to be, the greater I am. That's the principle of hell. Isn't that fascinating? It's rooted in rebellion against God. Hell, Satan's core temptation that he comes to you with is your way, not God's way. Because Satan knows if you choose the path of self-sufficiency over God dependency, it's a path that leads straight out of relationship with him. And it leads to death. George MacDonald was saying the one principle of hell is my way. So where does false wisdom come from? Not from above. It's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic even. But what does it produce? In other words, if you're walking down that path, the, the, the path of my way, what will your life be characterized by? Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Here's what this path produces. Disorder and every evil thing. Disorder is a very interesting word. It means things are out of place. Things aren't where they're meant to be. And you think about that, a, a disordered home or a disordered room or a disordered closet. Now think about it theologically. Disordered relationships. People aren't rightly related to one another. You, your friends, you, your spouse, you, your siblings, you, your kids, you and God there's not a unity, there's not a balance. Maybe your, your work is out of balance, you're not getting enough rest. Maybe your health is out of balance. Things in your body are not ordered right. They're not united. There's disintegration, disunity. It's the opposite of wholeness. It's the opposite, James is saying, of true wisdom, which is where things are rightly related. So it's no surprise that coming on the heels of disorder is, quote, every evil thing because disorder creates a mess. Creates woundedness in you and others. It creates broken relationships. It, hurt. it make, creates shattered dreams. It creates a mess. It's disorder. That's false wisdom. That's the fruit of false wisdom. Where does it come from? It's earthly, natural, even demonic. What does it produce? Disorder. And all the evil things that flow out of disorder. Now, let's look at true wisdom. Let's take a deep dive there. Let's figure out where true wisdom comes from and what it produces. Look at verse 17. But, there's the contrast word again. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Do you see the, the amazing contrast? He's like, look, there's, here, here's what, let, let, me, 
let me preview this path over here because you can't see around the bend. Let me show you what lies over there. It's disorder and all this other stuff. Now, back up to where the roads diverge. Let me show you what is down this path. Could they be any different? So where does true wisdom come from? Right here in the first part of verse 17, it comes from above. In other words, it comes from God. You know, my mind goes to James 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not shift like shadows. That's where it comes from, from the giver, the giving God, the generous God. What does true wisdom produce? In other words, what does a life look like that's characterized by walking down this path, the path of true wisdom, the, the path of God's way? Well, it's pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypo- hypocrisy. And some of you are thinking, that this list sounds a little bit familiar. It's because it sounds a lot like Paul's fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five. And so James, here in James 3, has his fruit of true wisdom. Paul has the fruit of the Spirit. They're very similar. In fact, throughout the scripture, wisdom and the presence of God, the Spirit of God, are closely related. Makes sense when you really think about that. So here's what James is saying. Do you want to know what life will look like when you're walking down the path of true wisdom? It's rich. It's varied. And it's full of life and nourishment full of fruit, and, and life and nourishment not just for you, but other people around you. That's the contrast. And then he goes on with verse 18. I, I love this closing verse in this passage. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is a bit of a confusing verse. Righteousness is sort of a summary of the fruit of wisdom that was just listed in the previous verse. So all that stuff, he's saying, look, that the seed of that stuff is sown in peace by those who make peace. I kind of like the way ESV translation goes in this verse. It says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. So what they're getting after there is is saying, look, all the fruits were listed in verse 17. Now verse 18, just imagine a harvest of this stuff, a harvest of fruit that's coming in. And where does it all come from? Peace, peace. It's wonderful that, that James anchors this text about the two paths in the word peace. And, and I want to tell you why that is. What is peace? you've been around fellowship a while, we, we, we like to talk about this word. It's one of the most important words in the whole scripture. Peace is God's design for his good creation. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, it's the word shalom. And guess what it means? It's everything rightly related, everything connected. It's wholeness. It's not just the absence of war. That's a part of it because those human beings rightly related. But it's the right connections. Does that sound a lot like wisdom? Absolutely. So wisdom is the path that results in peace. And it's actually God's initiative and his design of the world planting the seed of peace that he's going to then bring us back to someday when all is made right, you see. Harvest. Now, peace is the life you really want. When you understand peace biblically, you start to see that. It's your deep desire, 
right? It's where there's security. It's where there's affirmation. It's where there's wholeness. It's where there's meaning. It's where your identity is right and centered. This is the life of peace, where all the parts of your life are rightly related to each other. Your inside, your outside, your physical life, your spiritual life, your work and your rest, your relationship with God and your relationship with others, your thoughts, emotions, desires, choices, sewn up together in a tapestry, rightly related. That's peace. So we could summarize these six verses we've been studying this morning with one more image that we'll put on the screen. Let's start first going back to our two woods. There's my way, there's God's way. Now here's what I want to do next. We're going to put words in the text that were used for each. My way, bitter, jealousy, selfish, uh, ambition, earthly, arrogant, lies, natural, demonic, vile. What does it end in? Disorder. How about the other path? Good, gentleness, pure, mercy, reasonable, righteousness, unwavering fruit. What does it end in? What's it characterized? What does it f- produce? Peace. Peace. Your deepest desire is peace. You might say it this way, your deepest desire is a heart at peace, a life at peace in a world that isn't. Where do you find that? How do you get it? It's that path. It's true wisdom. It's God's way. Now, that leaves us with one last question. How do we walk that path? Like, what does it actually take to say, no, 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 not, not in my way, God's way? Isn't, isn't that hard? Can we just acknowledge? You know, some, some, of, some of us in here, you know, I've been a believer for, for a number of decades. Some of you in here got me beat. You know, some of you have been here Christian 50 more years. Can we just all acknowledge it is still hard to choose God's way over my way? It is. How do we do it? What does it look like? Well, glad you asked, because that's where I'm going. In, in chapter one, verse five, we have the first answer. Chapter one, verse five. You can turn back there if you want to. It's not gonna be on the screen, but I will read it. James chapter one, verse five. This is the first mention of wisdom in the book of James. So it's an important one. If any of you lacks wisdom, and all hands would go up on that one, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you want to know how to walk in true wisdom, the first thing you have to do is ask. You have to ask. Okay, but there's a little bit of an asterisk on the word ask. You know, James unpacks that in the verse that follows. You know, you like ask without doubting and that really that's all about like, it's about not being um, disunited. It's like, do you believe or do you not believe? That's actually what that's actually all about. But, but here's the asterisk that I want to pull out of that. You will not ask if you don't want to give up control to God. You won't genuinely ask him. Like you won't, because you don't want to know what he has to say. Not really, not really. If you don't want to give up control to him, if you're not willing to give up control to your creator, you're not going to ask. Or if you do, it won't be sincerely So you start by asking, but the hard part is giving up control. And so this is where I want to go with this. What does it take to give up control? 
Like that's, that's what this path is actually all about. Who's in control? Is it my way or God's way? It's a control question, isn't it? So what does it take to give up control? If you have your coin, pull it out. If you don't, that's fine. I've got mine up here. Remember, there's two sides to this coin. We've been talking about it every week. The faith side and the work side, we talk about how you really can't separate the two. It's two sides of one, coin. Now, some weeks in this series, our application has emphasized the works side. So a couple weeks ago, I gave you envelopes. We said, go out and do some work. Like, give the money away. Let it flow out of spirit dependence. Let it flow out of faith. But the emphasis is really on the work. This message, we want to put the emphasis on the faith. And I'll explain why that is. The only way you're ever going to give up control and choose God's way is if you have faith that his path will lead you to life, not death. Real life, like actually what's best for you. You have to believe that. You have to have faith that that's true. You have to trust him. Now here's the good news, all right? Let me transition because we're gonna talk about the good news of, of Christ. Our faith is rooted in Jesus. Why? Because he blazed the path of life for us. Those two paths, every human being prior to Jesus, they all walked the one on the left. Every single one, and it resulted in disorder. Israel couldn't get it right. Even the prophets couldn't get it right. No one was righteous, not one. Jesus came, he said, there's another way. There's another path. He walked that other path. He chose God's way, even to the point of death. That death resulted in ultimate life. This is how the gospel works. Now, putting your faith in Jesus Think of it this way. Not only means your sins are forgiven and your eternity with God is secure, absolutely it means that, but it also means something else. It means that through faith in Jesus, a whole nother path is opened to you. Apart from Christ, there's really only one path available to you. You actually, apart from Christ, cannot choose God's way because you're separated from him and you're never gonna give up control because you don't trust him. You're never gonna follow anyone you don't trust. Isn't that true? And, and apart from faith in the reconciliation work of Christ on the cross, you're at odds with God. Like you don't trust him outside of faith in Christ. You, you, if you're honest, you, you don't. You can't. But think about the message of the gospel. Okay, this is what's beautiful about being a Christian. Think about the message of the gospel. Think about what it means to believe the good news that Jesus died for you. It means the relationship of distrust between you and God has been overcome by one overwhelming one-sided act of grace. Like believing in the gospel means believing that God loves you. That's what the cross was for. That's what it was about. He cares for you. He came for you. He has good intentions for you. He desires life for you, not death. So much so that God was willing to allow his own son, to ask his own son even, to take death for you. Do you see what that means about this path over here? Oh, it leads to life. It leads to life. How do I know the cross proved it? God loves me. His way actually is better. He showed me. Think of it this way. When Jesus stretched out his arms on that cross, it was as if he was saying, see how much I love you? See how much I desire life for you? And it's this way. 
It's right here. Come, follow me. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, he walked out of that tomb as proof that everything he had said was right. Everything he had said was true. He is who he said he is. He is capable of bringing you to life, not death. And so the big idea of this whole message, the way to put all the pieces together of God's way, my way, true wisdom, false wisdom, how do I do this? I can't on my own, in my own will, choose God's way. I can't, not consistently. Here's the big idea. The way to walk in true wisdom is to fully believe that Jesus' life is life for you. So then you can shift your trust from your way to God's way and walk in that path. You believe. You have faith. Faith in what? Faith in the gospel that the cross means for you there's life by following Christ, that he blazed a trail that is now available to you. And through faith in Christ, you take a step down. And then you pray for faith to take the next step. And then you pray for faith to take the next step. And then you come to another crossroads. It's like everything in me wants to go this way, but God wants me to go that way. And you say, I believe God has good intentions for me. And he proved that on the cross and I'm being redeemed and I have the spirit. So I'll take another step. That's the life of faith. That's what active faith looks like. And so here's how we're gonna close the service. We're gonna have a chance to live out our faith, to express our faith through the Lord's Supper. So I'm gonna go ahead and invite the ushers to come forward and, and get ready. Don't start serving yet, ushers, but go ahead and get ready and the band will come on. Let me just give us some instructions and let me just say that, that why I think it's beautiful that we're ending this text with, with this remembrance. Because in a moment, for all of you who've put your faith in Jesus, in a moment you're going to be holding a, a little cracker and a little cup of grape juice. Okay? It's not the cracker and the grape juice. It's what they point to. What are they pointing to? The broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. They're pointing to the very things that are proof that God's intentions for you are good. The very things that are proof that you can trust him. Sometimes you need something to feel, something to hold on to, even something to taste. This morning you're gonna have something to taste that reminds you, even viscerally, that God is trustworthy. That Jesus died for you so you could have life. Because some of you are at a crossroads right now. Some of you Today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, you're gonna make a choice. All of us in small ways, every day, we're choosing these paths. We're choosing these paths. My way, God's way. My way, God's way. You need to taste and see that God is good. So if you've put your trust in Jesus this morning, this table's for you. If you haven't yet, I wanna encourage you just to let the trays pass. And here's what I would just encourage you, invite you to do. You don't have to do this, but... but but why don't you just wrestle with the paths of your own life and say, you know, in what ways have I chosen my way? In what ways have I actually trusted God? And maybe he has a different path for me. And wrestle through that a little bit this morning. Maybe for some of you, this is a moment of faith for you today. You're actually gonna say, you know what? I've been walking this path because I don't think I fully understood what, what it meant to fully be a Christian. And now I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus' life and death and resurrection 
today for me. You can do that right now. Just tell God you believe. Confess your sin to him and ask for forgiveness and tell him to put my faith in Jesus and then take the bread and the cup and celebrate the new life that you have. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing as the trays are passed. Our Father, we thank you for a chance to receive. It is a good reminder that we need this morning. You have good intentions for us. Your way is the way of life. Sometimes it's hard to choose that. Would you help us this morning? May we taste and see your goodness so we trust you in Jesus' name, amen. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the light Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could imagine? So great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. received from the Lord that which I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and 
after having given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken and given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is given for you do this as often as you drink it drink in remembrance of me this thought, you know, David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, is referred to as a man after God's own heart. There's a lot of mystery of what that means, but I think part of it was David was a man who understood God's desires for him. And so I want to leave you with these words. God's desires for you is expressed by David in Psalm 16, verse 11. David says, you, O Lord, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is God's heart for you. So go and trust that word, trust that path, take steps down that way as you go this week and have a great week. God bless.